Today's episode of A New Beginning is brought to you by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. Learn more at harvest.org. And while you're there, browse our library of free ebooks designed to help you grow in your faith. It's always funny how bad our sin looks on someone else. But the reason you recognize it so quickly is, well, because it's your sin. The Bible warns us about seeing the speck in a brother's eye when we have a beam in our own. Pastor Greg Laurie warns us against self-righteousness. The self-righteous person will point their finger at a person living in sexual sin, but they're doing it in their minds, and they're doing it in their heart. Is there really any difference? This is the day when the lost are know someone who seems like they're on non-stop sin patrol. You know, they spend their time looking into everyone else's business, seeing if they can spot any kind of inconsistency in a person's walk of faith. Maybe in searching for other people's sin, it helps them ignore their own. Well, today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us each check ourselves. We learn to walk more closely with the Lord and spend less time worrying about the spiritual scorecards of others. We're going to be looking at the book of Romans. That's the book we're looking at together. And the title of my message today is Everybody Needs Jesus, Part Two. I read a story about a group of boys that were standing around a small stray dog. And a pastor was nearby and he wondered what this was all about. So he walked over and uh, said, what are you boys doing? And one of the boys said, well, we're just telling lies. And we figure whoever tells the biggest lie gets to keep the dog. The minister said, well, I never did anything like that when I was a boy. I've never told lies. The boys looked at each other and said, he gets the dog. (laughs) You know, I have five grandchildren and uh, four girls and one boy. And they were over last night and it's always so much fun to be with them. And one of my grandchildren, Allie, whenever we'll have a meal, we'll say, who wants to pray? And Allie's always first. I want to pray. So the other day, Allie said to Kathy and I, I'm going to preach a sermon like Papa. That's what she calls me. So she grabs a book. She kind of holds it up like a Bible. She's, and she steps up in a little box. And then she starts telling all the bad things that her older sister and brother had just done. <laughs> I thought, is that how people see me just in... I hope not. I mean, hey, look, I'm here to comfort the afflicted, but sometimes I'm also here to afflict the comfortable. And really that's what Paul does in Romans chapters one and two, is he kind of calls us out. He calls us out as sinners and says, really, we all fall short. Now most people will generally admit they're a sinner, but with this caveat, They'll say, well, I'm a sinner, but you know, I'm not as bad as some people. And besides, everybody's doing it. And hey, nobody's perfect. And that's all true. But you have to own up to what you've done and admit, yes, I'm a sinner. And pretty much Romans 1 calls out what I would call garden variety sinners. 
These are not religious people. These are not church people. These are basically what we would call pagan people that worship other gods and the Lord God, people that are engaged in immorality and all the things that people get engaged in. So Paul pretty much says, you guys are all sinners. So the religious Jews would be standing next to Paul saying, you preach it, brother. You tell those sinners how bad they really are. Then Paul says, no, I'm setting my sights on you. In Romans chapter two, he deals specifically with religious Jews, but really with what I would call self-righteous people. So chapter one, Paul tells unrighteous people, sinners, that they fall short of God's standards. In chapter two, he tells self-righteous people that they are sinners as well. And by the way, the hardest people to reach are self-righteous people. Because at least a sinner will generally admit they're a sinner. <laughs> but a self-righteous person will say, well, I'm good. Uh, you don't need to preach that to me. Well, don't I? Doesn't Paul? Here Jesus told a story that illustrates it perfectly of two men that went to pray. One is identified as a sinner. The other is identified as a publican. Not a Republican, a publican. <laughs> and one had their prayer heard by God and the other did not. The Pharisee, a religious man, a devout man, a rule keeping man, actually prayed this prayer. God I thank you that I am not like other men. You know your prayer is messed up when you pray that by the way. And then he goes on to personalize it. There's a sinner next to him. He says, and especially I'm not as bad as this guy. Meanwhile, the sinner wouldn't even lift his face up. And he just said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And actually a better translation would be the sinner. Man, Lord, you know how bad I am. You know I am the sinner. God be merciful to me, the sinner. Guess who? had their prayer heard by God. Not the self-righteous man. Even though he kept the rules. Even though he did the right things outwardly. It was the man that admitted his true condition who had his prayer heard by God. So now we come to chapter two. I'm gonna read a few verses with you. And by the way, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Romans two, verse one. And notice it starts with the word you. And before I address this word you, I want to just say, don't think to yourself, I wish this really self-righteous person I know was here in church today. <laughs> this sermon, my friend, is for you. It's for me. Okay, so don't think about how this applies to someone you know. This applies to you, trust me. You, Paul writes, may think, underline that word, you may think, you can condemn such people. He's talking about the garden variety sinners of Romans 1. You think that you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're actually condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? So we'll stop there. If you're taking notes, I want to contrast self-righteous and unrighteous people. Number one, self-righteous people do not understand how bad their sin really is. Self-righteous people do not understand how bad their sin really is. Now a truly righteous person, and by the way, I'm righteous, not because of what I do. I'm righteous because of what Christ did. 
And I've been made right with Him through His death on the cross. So I'm positionally righteous. I'm still growing into that name and title. And I have a long ways to go, as do you. But uh, a self-righteous person doesn't see how bad their sin really is. I mean, it's always funny how bad our sin looks on someone else. You ever go into a store and you see a cute outfit on a mannequin? Uh, or cute outfit. That sounds like I'm talking to a girl, doesn't it? I'm, and I am in a way. Because guys don't see cute outfits, I don't think. So I'm, let me restate that. Girls, you know when you see. But you know, you see something that looks good. But then when you try it on, have you ever noticed it never looks as good? And in the same way, your sin always looks worse on someone else. But the reason you recognize it so quickly is, well, because it's your sin. You're very familiar with it, you see. And so that's the whole point that he is making is you're so quick to call other people out. But do you realize how bad your sin actually is? See, if somebody else takes something, that's stealing. If you take something, well, that's just borrowing. If somebody else lies and cheats, that's horrible. But you're just stretching the truth or exaggerating a little bit. The self-righteous person will point their finger at a person living in sexual sin, but they're doing it in their mind. And they're doing it in their heart. Is there really any difference? If I condemn someone, they shouldn't be living that way. That girl shouldn't be living with that guy. That's sinful. Okay, but did you just watch a TV show and really enjoy that scene and play it back a few times? Where that happened? Well, I'm not doing it. Yeah, aren't you? Because Jesus actually brings this up in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about a person who does it in their heart. He says, you've heard that it has been said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So now he's saying, see, you've done it as well in some way, shape, or form. And by the way, that word look isn't just a casual glance. It's a continuous act of looking. This is a description of a person that goes out of his way to look at something and to keep looking at something. And by the way, that doesn't just apply to men. It applies to women. It applies to all of us. It's a person that goes out of their way to look lustfully. And this is one of the problems of pornography today is it's so accessible in our culture. And uh, we carry around these little phones in our back pockets and you can access porn on those phones as you know. And, uh, and on your television. And, and so there it is. And a lot of people do. And that is so destructive to your mind when you fill it with things like this. Did you know that 79% of 18 to 30 year old American men watch internet porn at least once a month? 79%. We say, yeah, guys are such dogs. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but did you know 76% of American women ages 18 to 30 year old watch porn once a month? Oh. <laughs> what happened? We're all sinners. That's what happened. And so Jesus is saying, oh, you're so quick to condemn somebody else. But if you're taking this kind of stuff in, you're doing the same thing in your heart. That's the problem with all of it. As I said, it's interesting how bad our sin looks on someone else. And so this is something that we want to stay away from as followers of Jesus Christ. Pastor Greg Laurie will have the second half of his message in just a moment. 
You know, there's nothing like hearing the Word of God and worshiping the Lord together. I want to encourage you to join us for something we call Harvest at Home. It happens every Saturday and Sunday at harvest.org. You can join Christians from around the world as we worship and we study the Word of God together. So join us for Harvest at Home at harvest.org. Well, today, Pastor Greg is drawing a contrast between self-righteous people and unrighteous people from our studies in Romans. And he continues now. Number two, the self-righteous person is blind to their own condition. They see it everywhere else except in their own life. Verse one, you're just as bad and you have no excuse. And if that's not bad enough, they then condemn others who do it. Verse three, since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? And these are the people that are so quick to criticize. And many of them live online, by the way. Oh, they love to just take shots at everybody. They're the person, or if you're in a room and you're having a good time, they always bring everything down. I've even named them. It's Debbie Downer and her boyfriend, Bobby Buzzkill, right? (laughs) So whatever is going on, they'll have something critical to say. Well, I know, but still, I have this one criticism, or I don't think this is right. And they're very critical in a hyper way. And this is a kind of a indication of being a self-righteous person. And so that's what he's pointing out. Number three, the self-righteous person somehow thinks that God is okay with their sin. I mean, they would probably never say that openly. I think God's okay with my sin. But they kind of think it. And the reason I think they kind of think it is because they keep doing it and they don't think they're ever gonna have to pay for it in any way, shape, or form. Verse four, Romans two, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see it's his kindness intended to turn you from your sin? So let's just say you're doing a certain sin, whatever it is, and you do it day after day, week after week, month after month, and nothing's happened. And somehow in your warped thinking, you say, well, maybe God's okay with this. No, he's not okay with it. And the reason nothing has happened is because he loves you and he's convicting you and he's telling you to repent of it. But if you don't repent of it, at one point it's gonna catch up with you because the Bible says your sin will find you out. But the self-righteous person deceives themselves. And listen to this, this is a big one. Number four, the self-righteous person is judgmental and very harsh with others. Verse three, Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same thing? So if you're doing it to someone else, that's the problem. Now look, when we say a Christian should not judge, let's understand it. As I've often said, the non-believer's favorite verse is judge not lest you be judged, okay? There is a place for judging, let me define the word, evaluating. If I see something wrong in your life, if I love you, I'm gonna get together with you and I'm gonna point it out. I may compliment you for a few things and acknowledge the great things you're doing, but I'll say, there's something I'm concerned about. And by the way, I'll do it privately. I won't initially call you out publicly to embarrass or humiliate you because my objective is not to destroy you, it's to restore you. And there's a big difference. I think some people take information, they weaponize it, and they use it to bring a person down. 
If I have information, I want to use it to help you. It's sort of like going to a doctor. And you walk in and, Doc, I think I broke my arm. And he looks at it and does an x-ray and he says, you did. So let's set it, put it in a cast. Thank you, Doc, you're the best. You're, you're welcome. Come here for a second. Yeah, and he breaks your other arm. <laughs> Why'd you do that? I need the business. What, are you crazy? So that's sometimes how we restore people in quotes. Oh, come here. Let me help you. Oh, now I'm going to kick you when you're down. That's not restoration. And so when Paul is saying don't judge a person, that's what he is talking about. Not judging for evaluation, but it's a word that means to judge to condemnation. What should we do if a fellow believer falls into sin? Here's what the Bible says. Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should kick them while they are down and tell as many people as possible. Right? Is that in the Bible? No, it isn't. You'd think it was by the way some people act. Now here's what the Bible actually says. Brothers, if someone is overtaken in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you may also be tempted Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. By the way, that phrase that Paul uses there in Galatians for caught in a sin implies it was not premeditated. So this isn't even a person that went out to sin intentionally. This is a person who probably lowered their guard and they got caught sort of like an animal in a trap. First of all, I should take no pleasure in it, no delight in it, and care enough to help this person and maybe I'll tell them what's wrong, but now I tell them how to get right and I restore them gently. I want to help them. But the problem is sometimes we want to judge them. And Jesus talked about this also in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, verse three, he says, why do you look at a speck in your brother's eye and not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye when you have a plank in your own eye. By the way, the word that Jesus used there for plank speaks of a very large piece of wood and speck speaks of a very small piece of wood. So it would be like saying, hey, how can I pick a little bit of sawdust out of my brother's eye when I have a telephone pole in my eye? How can I possibly even see what's wrong in their life when I have so much more of it in my life? And that's precisely the point. The reason I'm so quick to identify it is because I'm so familiar with it. In a way, I might be telling you more about myself when I condemn another person than I'm telling you about them. I may be giving you a glimpse into my heart. Oh, you're so full of pride. You're so arrogant. You always want to be the center of attention. Uh, are you talking about yourself? No. Yeah, you are actually. Actually, that person you're accusing may not be guilty of any of the things that you're very guilty of, but you're so blinded because you're self-righteous, you don't even see it. That's the problem. Someone else has to actually tell you. So the whole idea here is to restore a person because it's eating us up inside. Kent Hughes, a great Bible commentator, made this statement, quote, we find it so easy to turn a microscope on another person's sin while well, we look at ours to the wrong end of a telescope. Maybe the reason we see pride in another is because that is our sin. We see a speck of phoniness in another because that is our sin. 
and really we're guilty of the same thing. End quote. So in a way you're projecting your sin on another person. Here's a perfect example. King David, powerful man, ruling over Israel. Saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. Got that lustful look. Kept looking for a long time and he did more than that. He had her brought up to his palace and had sexual relations with her. And she got pregnant. And instead of admitting his sin to God, he tried to cover it up. He had her husband who was in his military serving, Uriah, come back hoping he'd spend a night with his wife and think it was his own child. And Uriah wouldn't go be with his wife. And this frustrated David, so he had him sent out to the front lines to lead a charge. Everybody else fell back. And Uriah, the courageous husband of Bathsheba, was killed. So basically David had this man murdered in so many words. And he thought he had covered up a sin. So he marries Bathsheba. He thinks everything's cool. No one will ever know. Well God knew. And a lot of time passed giving David opportunity to repent. But he did not repent. And one day the prophet uh, comes in to see him. Nathan. Says, uh, King, I have, I have a thing I gotta talk to you about. Yes, yes, what is it? Well, there's this guy who has all of these sheep. So many sheep he can't even count them. And he has a neighbor who has one little baby lamb. It's like their pet. They push it around in a stroller. <laughs> they carry it in a sling. Now, I made that part up, but they, he did say it eats at their table, right? It's his pet. He loves a little lamb. Anyway, so the rich guy with all the sheep had a friend come to visit him for the week and I wanted to give him leg of lamb. And instead of killing one of his many sheep to serve this man, he went to the guy with a one little baby lamb and he killed it. Now King, what do you think should be done to a guy like that? David's blood began to boil and he said, he should be put to death. Wow. Overkill. I mean under the Mosaic law maybe restore fourfold. It's not a capital offense. It's bad but not that bad. And then the prophet says, you're the man. It's you, David. Get it? You're the king with multiple wives, with concubines, more women than you could ever access in a lifetime. And what do you do? You go after this guy, Uriah's wife. You take his wife from her and then you have him killed. Why is it David was so quick to be so harsh with such a small sin when he was guilty of worse because he was self-righteous. And this happens to us and that is exactly what Paul is dealing with here. Pastor Greg Laurie is helping us see the destructive nature of self-righteousness on today's edition of A New Beginning. And there's more to come in this message called Everybody Needs Jesus, Part 2. Well, it's such a treat to have Pastor Levi Lusco with us today. Of course, he's the senior pastor of Fresh Life Church with campuses in Montana, Wyoming, Oregon, and Utah. And he's the author of a new book called The Marriage Devotional that we're making available. Uh, you and your wife wrote this together, uh, right, Levi? Yeah, Jenny and I have been married uh, for 19 years, and it's been such a journey. We've lived in multiple states uh, in that time, seen five kids come into our home, seen one child go home to be with Jesus in heaven, and blazing the trails of, of leading in the church. We've definitely learned a lot of things, most of them the hard way, and we're not trying to answer or give any you know ivory tower truth from a perfect place, mm -hmm. but a lot of the, the stuff that we are offering up, we've discovered along the way in our 
our brokenness, in our pain, in the beauty of watching God work. But it really has been an amazing discovery of God working in our marriage. And we want to share that to help other people who are struggling because the truth is marriage is hard. Levi, you mentioned that you have one child in heaven. That's your daughter, Lenya. And I remember the day you called me and told us to pray because she was still alive, but tragically she did not make it, and she went to be with the Lord. You know, marriages fall apart when a child dies on many occasions. Your marriage didn't fall apart. I would even say from observing it, not that your marriage wasn't strong to start with, but I would say your marriage has gotten even stronger. So talk to us a little bit about the impact of having a child die and then just how external hardship can strengthen a marriage in general. Well, you know, of course it wasn't easy, as you and Kathy know from experience too, but I found the truth of what Jesus said that if you build your house on the foundation of his words and doing them, right. then you're like a man who's a home built on a, on a, on a rock. Yeah. And the storms that come can't destroy the house as if you're built on sand. And that's one of the key messages that we want to point people to in this book is if you build your life on the right things, mm-hmm. then storms don't destroy your house. In fact, if anything, they make it stronger, like yeah. you said. And that really is the message of the Beatitudes, that you can be brokenhearted, but see God right there in the midst of it. Yeah. And uh, Jenny and I found that our, our, our hearts were more stabilized on heaven. Our hearts were more focused on the next world. We cared less for this world. And I think that if you have a weak marriage, a trial like that will make it weaker. If you have a, a strong marriage, the trial will make it stronger. And so our message in this book is prepare for the pain you're not yet in. Mm. Train for the trial that's yet to come and build your house today on the rock so that tomorrow's hardship, which is going to come, whether it's from your aging parents getting sick and dying or a hardship economically mm-hmm. or something really happening in your own personal health, you know, those things are going to challenge your marriage vows. But if you do the hard work of, of centering your life on the gospel and living your life, you know, worshiping in the Holy Spirit, being planted in in a local church, then that hardship is just going to center you more on the things that you're already anchored on. That's fantastic. I'm speaking with Levi Lesko, who's a longtime friend, an amazing pastor, and the author, along with his wife, Jenny, of a brand new book called The Marriage Devotional. It's 52 devotions that you can go through with your spouse that will strengthen your marriage. And it's our gift to you this month for your gift of any size to help us continue on here at A New Beginning, to teach God's Word and to proclaim the gospel and do everything we can to strengthen marriages, marriages just like yours. So order your copy of the Marriage Devotional from Jenny and Levi Lusco from us here at A New Beginning. Yeah, that's right. It's a book with a tremendous amount of biblical counsel to strengthen that important relationship. Thanks for partnering with us so these daily studies can continue. And when you make that donation today, be sure to ask for The Marriage Devotional. And we'll only be able to mention this resource a short time longer. You can call us at 1-800-821-3300. That's a 24-7 phone number, 1-800-821-3300. Or write A New Beginning, Box 4000, Riverside, California, 92514 or go online to harvest.org. Well, next time, more insight from Pastor Greg's message, Everybody Needs Jesus, Part 2. 
We'll focus on the power of prayer in our personal evangelism. Join us here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher, Greg Laurie. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Harvest Ministries, follow this show and consider supporting it. Just go to harvest.org. And to find out how to know God personally, go to harvest.org and click on Know God.